How is everybody? Good. Good. Hey, shout out to all the moms. You have the toughest job in the universe. So, yeah. Listen, if one has ever been in a delivery room, even if a mom does nothing else after that day, they have done more than any man in this room. So, uh, yeah, they are the superior of the two sexes. So, um, um, anyways, okay, what was I going to say? Oh, speaking of moms, A, my mom watches in St. Louis every single week, so I have to do the cheesy, hi, mom. And then uh, she's the most supportive mom on planet Earth. And then... Uh, my wife, who's a great mom, my wife used to be a chemist, and people always ask her what was harder, being a chemist or a stay-at-home mom, and without thinking, she says, staying home mom was the hardest thing she's ever done, so it's a lot of work. Uh, the other day, our oldest um, was in a talent show at her school at Northfield. My oldest is eight years old. She's only been playing piano for about eight months, and she played Ode to Joy and Fur Elise by memory and just killed it in front of like a thousand people. And I was like that dad in the back and I posted it on Facebook to let you know how great my kid is and uh, did all that. And um, we were, uh, I was taking my, my daughter to, to, to uh, piano classes the other day, Friday, and I'm driving her and she goes, dad, what was your favorite act besides me? And um, I was like, well, and I'm gonna tell you guys this. At their school, you had to try out, so you had to like make the talent show, but there was a kid, they have the, the preschool stuff now in the public schools, and uh, there was a four-year-old boy that came out and he was wearing like uh, a vest and he had his like little cabbie hat on and he did Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. And so, hey, when a four-year-old gets up there and belts out the smell of wine and cheap perfume, I was like, yes. <laughs> All the teachers had their phones out and it like turned into a rock show. I mean, this like four-year-old brought it, man. I mean, it was... Uh, it was pretty impressive, and as the song went on, he kept getting more confident, and he was just belting it out. It was, uh, I mean, his kid was like this tall, and um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. It made my day. So uh, that has nothing to do with the book of Ruth, um, which we're starting today, but here's where we are. If you have a Bible with you, the eighth book of the Bible, so starting in Genesis, the eighth book of the Bible is the book of Ruth. Now, last week, if you weren't here, we talked about the book before the book of Ruth, which is the book of Judges. Now, a lot of people haven't even read the book of Judges. It's a historical book, not a book on how we should live. It's more on a book of how we should not live, the book of Judges, okay? And so the reason why we talked about the book of Judges is because the first words of the book of Ruth is it says that in the time of Judges, and then it goes on to tell us the story of Ruth, okay, for four chapters. Now, what we talked about last week was this. The environment, the culture, the world during the time of Judges was nuts. At the very end of the book of Judges, it even talks about there's a female servant who gets violently raped and murdered, and then her master cuts her up into 12 parts and mails her body parts all over the region. I'm talking crazy stuff, but that was the culture that the book of Ruth took place in. So when we read the book of Ruth, it's important to know that the world was nuts at the time, okay? We talked about this, though that even in the worst environments imaginable, God is still doing something. He's still working out a plan to save his people. Okay, that's what we talked about last week a little bit. Now this week we're gonna kinda talk about something similar, but it's more personal. That in the middle of our dark and confusing times, whether we put ourselves in this situation or it just happens to be circumstances, 
that God is trying to teach us a lesson, the question is, are we receptive to the lesson? So we've ended up in this place, all of us have put ourselves or other things have put ourselves in a position, are we listening to what God is trying to tell us in that time, okay? So that's what we're gonna talk about a little bit today. Now you should have a notes handout. Um, if you didn't, if you have a smartphone, the Uversion app, if you go to the bottom right button, click on it twice, our church will pop up and there's all these notes and all this fancy stuff that'll come up and you should have everything in front of you. But we are gonna go through chapter one today of Ruth. I think you guys are gonna dig it. It's just kind of a launching pad. It's just kind of an intro. And um, I'll probably mispronounce some Hebrew names here. So if you're a Hebrew scholar in here, show me grace. So, uh, all right, I'm gonna pray and we'll jump into this. You guys can go enjoy uh, your day. Make sure you call your mom, right, if she's out of town. And if, uh, if she's in town, you should take her out to lunch or something. So do something with your mom today. Very important day, okay? Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. Thank you for bringing us all into this room. Thank you for the beautiful weather we've had the last couple of days. God, thank you just uh, for keeping us safe. Father, we pray that you just open up our eyes and our ears today. Whatever our circumstances, wherever we are, whatever's going on around us, God, Lord, let us understand that you're doing something, that you're talking to us, that you're trying to speak something into us. Lord, let our antennas be up so we can receive that message. Open up our eyes, open up our ears, God. Help us to understand Father, we pray for every church in our city. We pray for the nonprofits in our city. And we pray that your kingdom is advanced uh, through all those great organizations. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, chapter one of Ruth. I'm going to read a little bit. I'll do my best to break it down. Here we go. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to live in the land of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Milan and Chilion, and they were Ephrathites. Well, that's a hard one for me. From Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the land of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second one was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab for about 10 years, both Milan and Chilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. So like I said earlier, whenever one reads the Bible, it is extremely beneficial if we understand the culture. What did the world look like when this part of the Bible was written? So to fully appreciate the book of Ruth, you have to understand a little bit about what was going on in the book of Judges. Why? Because that's where this story took place. Not only was the culture bad, but it also said there was a famine in the land, which means the economy wasn't good, which means agriculture wasn't good. There was a lot going on. And this famine and these economic times affected a man named Elimelech who had a wife and two sons. So what he did was this. He took his wife and his kids. He left the promised land. Look at the symbolism. He left where God put his people, left this area to go look for answers in another area. He traveled to an area called Moab, about 50 miles away by foot, that's a good distance, to look, to, to, uh, to look for food and to look for work. Now, the two things that Eli did wrong, that's my abbreviating his name there, the two things that Eli did wrong is he left the land that God had put his family in, 
and he looked for the answers in a territory that didn't believe in God. So these are the two things he did wrong. Now, this guy came from a wealthy family. Of course, they weren't wealthy at the time because there was a shortage of food and work. And he left this area that was known as the house of bread. So it's ironic that the area where he's from, Bethlehem, means house of bread, and people were starving. So he goes out and he looks for answers, right? So almost immediately in the book of Ruth, after we meet this family, right, we get to know their names, it records their names, we read that three of them have died right in the first chapter. First, Naomi's husband dies, then her two sons die, and she is left only with her two daughters-in-law, okay? The first daughter-in-law's name is Orpah, which I want to say Oprah every time I see that. But Orpah, which means firmness of neck, and what this is referring to is this. It's so important in the Old Testament especially. Names mean a lot. So this one daughter-in-law was probably very beautiful, right? She would have been the one that you walked in the room and all the men are like, whoa, she's very, very attractive and she just would have stood out from her physical beauty. Now, there's not, not anything wrong with that and she was probably a very pleasant person. The second daughter-in-law, though, was Ruth. And Ruth wasn't necessarily known for her physical beauty, even though she might have been very physically attractive. She was known for something deeper. She was known for her character, her friendship. Her name meant refreshment, that when she walked into a room, she just made people smile, her personality, her attitude. She was just a good person, right? Very good person. And so in this decade that Elimelech had left his hometown where God had put him and went to this other area, in that 10 years, a lot took place. They left this area to escape death, and what ended up happening? 75% of the family died, of the nuclear family had died. And so at the beginning of the book of Ruth, here's what we have. Here's the characters, here's the situation. We have a group of people that made some bad decisions. They weren't necessarily bad people, but they made some bad decisions and because of these bad decisions, a woman has lost her husband and has lost two of her kids, and the circumstances look very, very bleak, right? There's not much going on. So the first lesson we learn from the book of Ruth is this. The intro of this book of the Bible is a great example of someone who chose their path rather than God's path. And so what we see is though times get tough, you and I, if you call yourself a Christian here, or if we, at least you're interested in this whole Christian thing, though times get tough, we must trust that wherever we are is because God has, has, has preordained for us to be there, and if he takes us to a certain area, he's going to provide for us in that area. We have to trust God enough to wherever we are, God's going to take care of us if he's the one that put us there, okay? All right, let's move on. So she and her daughters-in-law prepared to leave the land of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's needs by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. She said to them, each of you go back to your mother's home May the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord enable each of you to find security in the house of your new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. No, they said to her, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have more sons who could become your husbands? 
Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there were still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. So the land of Moab had not worked out the way that Naomi and her husband had planned. And so Naomi, after being in the land of Moab for 10 years, heard that God was blessing Israel by giving them good crops. So he was providing for them food. So she said, let's go back. Let's go back to my hometown. So her and her daughters-in-law traveled back to the southern part of Israel, right? Naomi was a southerner. So she was going back to the southern part of Israel. And on the way back, she looks at her daughters and she says, hey, you guys are young, you're attractive, you have your whole life ahead of you. Why don't you go back to your hometowns, find security, find comforts, find all the things that people want, right? Don't hang out with me. Go back and live your life. And at this point, this is very important, at this point, Naomi becomes a contradiction. At this time, Naomi's distorted, she has a very distorted view of God. She believes in the true God, but she's mad at God. She thinks God is mad at her. And so she tells these two ladies to go and be happy. And she sends them or tries to send them in a direction where the true God is not even worshiped. She's more concerned about happiness than she is about the truth. How often do you hear Christians, I'm not talking about non-Christians, how often do we hear Christians congratulate or turn a blind eye to or even encourage other people to do things that are contradictory to the Bible? You guys ever heard this? Well, I just want them to be happy. Listen, I'm gonna let you in on a secret. I, as a pastor, am not concerned about your happiness. I am concerned about your salvation. I want you to be content for eternity, not happy temporarily right now. Happiness is fleeting, and it's dependent on circumstances. Contentment only comes from Christ. That's what I want you to have, is a relationship with Christ. Oh man, that guy doesn't want me to be happy. That's not what I said, right? I want you to be content, but I know your fulfillment will only come from God. And so we need to be careful, right? If someone asks our opinion, oh, I'm not getting along with my, my wife very well. Well, you should divorce her. That's not good advice. That's not godly advice, right? Unless there's spousal abuse or unless there's chronic infidelity or something like that. No, no, no. We need to reconcile this relationship. If your girlfriend tells you that you need to ditch your husband just because you're not getting along right now, that's not the godly thing to do. Ultimately, that's not even going to lead to happiness. That's going to lead to a lot of trouble, a lot of heartache. We need to be very careful that we're more in love with the truth than our own comforts and happiness. You guys with me? Okay, good. You're awfully quiet. So, okay. So Orpah and Ruth wept at the thought of leaving their mother-in-law. I know everyone has that kind of relationship with their mother-in-law, but they wept at the fact. I actually do. I love my mother-in-law very much. So, so they said, hey, we'll go with you. We'll go and your people will be our people. And here's what Naomi did because Naomi genuinely loves these ladies. She looked at them and she said, guys, let's be realistic here. Listen, let's be realistic. I'm getting older. I'm not going to be able to get married again. And even if I could get married again, and even if I had two boys again, you guys going to wait 20 years for them to grow up so you can marry them? She goes, no, that's ridiculous. Not only that, she basically goes, I'm a negative Nelly, right? You don't want to be around me. I'm bitter. My attitude's horrible. 
go be around some positive people, some happy people. And so even though her advice is not necessarily good to them, she loves them. She cares for them. She thinks a lot about them. And so Naomi had no obligations to these women. Not only were they foreigners, they weren't blood relationship, and they didn't even worship the same God. She had no obligation, but she loves them and she was selfless. Naomi was basically saying to these two daughters, she goes, I don't care about my contentment, I care about yours. And so even though she's a little jaded and skewed, we don't see that kind of love and commitment very often in our culture, in our society, all right? Next part. So again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. When you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May Yahweh, that's God, punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her to go, okay? So after the realization that following Naomi was going to be difficult. It says that both of the young women cried. Even Ruth, who we're going to find out here in a second, decides to follow her. It was still very sad that life is going to be forever different. It's going to be very, very hard. So one of the sisters, Orpah, she was drawn in by the fact that she could go back home, live a comfortable life, live a normal life, right? No opposition, no resistance, go back to her old ways, and she could find what she wanted. Now, what Orpah did was this. She made the easiest decision, and quite frankly, guys, if we're being honest, she made the natural decision. Okay, so it may hurt a little bit to leave my mother-in-law, but I can go back to my family, I can go back to my old ways, I can find another man, I can have kids, I can do all these things. So she made the natural response that most of us make. When we are backed into a corner, when something happens to us, our first response is self-preservation. We take care of ourselves. That's what most of us do, right? Right? She made the natural choice, but Ruth made the supernatural choice. She was thinking beyond herself. She was thinking something bigger. She knew that Naomi followed the true God. She knew that Naomi was looking out for her, was providing for her, for protecting her, was looking out for her best interests. So she decided to look beyond her own comforts and do what she thought was the right thing to do. And Ruth's choice to follow her mother-in-law, and this is so important, and take the honorable and sacrificial road instead of the easy and convenient road not only changed Ruth's life, as we will see pretty soon, but it has changed countless other people's lives for the last 3,000 years. Listen, there's a book of the Bible named after this woman. If she would have went back to her old ways, we wouldn't know who Ruth is. And we are still talking about her today, 3,000 years later, that this woman has become an epic figure, not only in biblical culture, but just a wonderful story altogether. And so Ruth looks at her mother-in-law and she lays it down, right? She gives this declaration, this swears by this oath. And this is what it says. She goes, where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. 
She says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. This is where she becomes a follower of the true God. She says, where you die, I'm gonna die and I'll be buried right next to you. This is what Ruth was saying to her mother-in-law. She said, we're gonna have a relationship. We're gonna be committed to each other. I'm gonna honor you and I'm gonna respect you. This is what I swear to you. I'm gonna do these things. So this was an honorable woman. And what Ruth did Man, I'm going to get controversial here for a second, and so just, just, be, just amp yourself up, right? What Ruth did was this. When Ruth decided to follow Naomi back to Israel, she gave up her culture, she gave up her language, she gave up her family, and she gave up any prospect of a future family. She literally left it all. And she said, may God punish me if anything but death separates you and me. Now, here we go, guys. And if you know me very well, I'm not a political person. I don't get into all that stuff, but I just want to challenge our thinking for a second because that's what I believe that the Bible does. The bloodline of Jesus Christ goes through Ruth, okay? That's, that's a fact, right? King David comes from Ruth, and then eventually Jesus Christ, our Savior, comes from the bloodline of Ruth. Do you know what Ruth was when she entered into Bethlehem? Here we go. She was an illegal immigrant, she came into Bethlehem not believing in the same God. She came in not speaking the same language, and she worked the dirtiest job possible because she was not a citizen. And listen, I'm not trying to go there. I believe in borders, and I believe in protection, and I lock my doors at my house at night. But here's where the Bible does to us. It challenges our perception of human beings. And when we are a follower of Christ, we don't just look at people as a problem. We look at people as made in the image of God himself. The bloodline of Christ not only came from an illegal immigrant, if you keep going down that bloodline, it came from an adulterer, it came from a murderer, it came from a lot of bad people that had done some bad stuff, and we get our Savior through that bloodline. Again, what that does is it makes us step back, and before we say negative things about people, maybe we should try to look at them through the eyes of God, right? I'll move on. That wasn't too bad, was it? Okay, moving on. Nothing was thrown, so we're good. So, we have to ask, do we have this kind of character? Look at this relationship between Naomi and Ruth, right? Naomi's jaded. She's ticked off, right? Ruth is, is just kind of like just young and infantile in her faith and believing in the true God. But look at how much these two women love each other. This is such a model for how you and I should treat each other. Look at the sacrifice. Look at the honor. Look at how they communicate. And so what we see... <laughs> Thousands of years, around 1,030 years before Jesus was crucified, that's about when the story took place, we already see the character of how people who, who follow Christ should be. When we have an encounter with God, just like Ruth had this encounter with God, it should change our perspective on how we see people. It should change our perspective on how we see life in general. After we have an encounter with God, we should be sacrificially giving, we should serve, we should be honorable, we should be committed. Our yes should be yes and our no should be no. The Bible says that it's even better for us to finish something than to start something, that we're to be committed to things. Are we willing to lay down our culture, our comforts, even our relationships for the sake of God? Are we willing to do that? That's not easy. But look at what Ruth did, and we're going to see it here in a second and more as we study this book, okay? Last part. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, 
the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? They hadn't seen her in 10 years, right? Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has pronounced judgment on me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law, or her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So this was about a 50-mile trip, which nowadays we're like, oh, you hop in a car, 50 miles, that's less than an hour, no big deal. When you're walking across rough terrain, either barefoot or just in sandals, it's kind of a big deal. So they traveled the 50-mile trip. Naomi and Ruth arrive in Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. And given the circumstances, Naomi wishes she could have went in without anyone noticing. She came from a wealthy family. She was probably very beautiful 10 years ago. She comes back. She's now dirt poor. She probably doesn't look the same that she used to look. Not only that, she has this illegal immigrant woman with her from an area that they basically hated, right? This Moabitess, that's why it mentions that. She was brought in and they would have been like, whoa, what's Naomi doing hanging out with that woman, right? And so they come into town, but they don't treat her bad. They all say, they're excited. Look, Naomi's back. But Naomi, in her embarrassment, and she kind of speaks very irrational, right? She kind of says, all these things are against me. And she says, don't call me Naomi. This logical woman through logic and reason, completely out the window. And she said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter. She was angry at God. Here's the thing though. She ended up in a particular situation, not because God did it, but because her and her husband left where God wanted them to be and went to an area where God did not want them to be. And then she looks up and she says, God, why are you doing this to me? And God's like, oh, I didn't do anything to you, right? You're the one that decided to leave. You're the one that kind of made these mistakes. But she blamed God for the emptiness that she felt, okay? Hot pink, you know it's coming, guys. So, <laughs> though her view on God was skewed, she did believe that God was sovereign. If you've never heard that word before, it's a fancy word for God knows all, he's in control of all. Her problem wasn't that she didn't believe he was sovereign. She thought God was powerful, but didn't have any pity. She thought God was in control, but didn't have any sympathy. She thought God was just, but not gracious. Now here's what we all do. That's why it's in hot pink. Like Naomi, we often think that we are the bullseye of God's like cosmic target, right? That God has it out for me and he's gunning for me all the time. But here's the thing, especially if you're a Christian in here, it takes extreme maturity to understand that we are not the center of the universe. I know we live in a culture that says, selfie this, my iPod so I can shut all of you out and have my own soundtrack to life, right? It's all about us. We're told we can have it our way, that we don't need to submit to anyone, that everything revolves around us. That's the culture that we live in, but that is not the case. I'm gonna break it to you. This book isn't even really about you. This book is God's story, and we are just so honored that we get to be a part of it. It's not about us. It's about him. It is about his bride secondarily, which means if we are Christians, if we are in the family of God, we are included into that story. But God is the center of it all, not me as an individual. It is bigger than me 
It's bigger than you, okay? So they arrived at the beginning of the harvest. This is important. The fact that they are coming into town at the beginning of the crop harvest, it frames the next part of the story. When we get into chapter 2 next week, it frames the fact that she is going to go in, this Moabitess, this outsider, this lowest of the low, right? She's going to come in and she's going to work the dirtiest job imaginable. We'll see here in the next couple of chapters. She comes in, after everyone else gets the good food and the good grain, she comes in and picks up the scraps. That's what she does, the lowest of the low jobs. So what we see in chapter one, this is so important, is we have this, this figure, Ruth, who is the ultimate underdog. She's not from the culture. She's not from the area. She's the lowest of the low. She's a widow, all these things. She is the underdog. And we're gonna see that God is going to do something amazing in the middle of her situation. That's what we're going to see. So here's the thing today. Every single person in this room, every single one of you, if I were to random you, randomly pick people from, from the audience, bring you up here and say, tell, tell us something awful that has happened in your life, whether it be because of something you've done or because of something someone's done to you or just circumstances, every single person in this room has scars. All of you, all throughout the room. And if you don't give it time, you will, right? All of us go through battles and all of us have scars. Now, sometimes when we are shoved in a corner or we, you know, things have happened to us because of those circumstances, some of us, some of us, all of us make poor choices. We do things that we, we do them because we're scared or because we're desperate or because our mind's not where it needs to be and we make bad decisions and the aftermath of those bad decisions can cause us to be depressed or ashamed or in a very dark place and it can be very difficult to see that God is with you. You guys with me? We've all been there, right? All of us. And so when we're in those places, here's the trick. Instead of blaming other people, instead of shaking our fist at God, in those times, it is so important to know that God is trying to tell us something. And so in those times, we have to be humble enough we have to be patient enough. Sometimes we need to be quiet enough to hear what he has to say. There is a lesson that we are to be taught. And the question is, are we receptive to it? God may be trying to humble you. God may be trying to make you patient. God may be trying to work on your temperament. God may be trying to work on your greed or your lust or whatever the lesson may be. God may try to be trying to make you a better communicator with your spouse or with your children or what, I, I don't know what it is, but in every situation, listen, even the situations that we screwed up, it says in Romans that God even works out those things for, for the good of those that love him. That even if we're the ones that planted the lemon tree, right? That God picks them off and makes lemonade. That he can do that if we will trust him. If we will pray, if we will pick up the word of God and read it. We will get answers. He will speak to us in prayer if we will ask him. I mean, audibly, God, what are you doing? Hey, I don't know if you guys know this or not. When you ask God what he's doing, you know he's not like, oh, how dare you, right? He doesn't get offended by that. You guys know that, right? God's not like taken aback by your questions. We can ask him. Man, in the eight years I've been doing this church, I have asked God six billion times what the heck he's doing, right? What are you doing? And I don't mean it disrespectfully, but if I'm quiet and if I'm patient long enough, God tells me what he's doing. He shows me what he's doing. He creates a pathway. He creates an avenue. He opens a door. So listen, 
I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know if you're in a situation that you built up or if someone else has done it to you. I don't know where you're at, but I know this, that God loves every single person in this room. And that if we will just be humble enough and if we will take the time to speak to him, he'll show you where to go. He'll take care of you. God doesn't lead us places to let us starve to death. He does not. Where he leads us, he will provide for us. He will take care of us. We, but we have to be listening. We have to be communicating. We have to be humble. Humble, 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 humble. That is the cancer of our culture is we are arrogant and we must be humble. And when we're humble, it says that God resists the proud, but he draws near to the humble. We must be humble and listen. The darkest time in human history was when a woman named Mary looked up at a piece of wood and saw her son brutally beaten and nailed to it. In a time when a mother was looking at her child, it would have been very easy for her to shake her fist at God and say, woe is me, why is this happening? But instead, she trusted that that was the Savior. And she trusted that there was a plan. And look what that plan has done. It has opened up the door for you and I to be saved. There is communion all the way around you. That's what that represents. It represents a plan that worked. It represents that no matter how dark the days get and the nights get, that God's light is brighter and that the darkness can never overcome the light, ever. But we must trust in Him. I love you guys. I hope you're encouraged. And I hope you will take the time to just talk to Him and listen. Listen. Sometimes we just need to be still and quiet, which I know is very hard in our culture. Just be still and see if the still small voice doesn't tell you where to go. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, you're good. Even when we don't understand, even though we don't know how we ended up where we are, you're good. Father, for everyone in this room, every man, every woman, God, everyone who's confused or struggling or angry or upset or jaded or wherever they are in their situation, God. I pray, Lord, that they will humble themselves and that they will just ask why, with a, with a humble heart, that they will ask why, God, show me. And Lord, I just believe that you'll show them. Father, if anyone needs prayer, Lord, give them courage to come up and be prayed for by my brothers and sisters at the front. Lord, if we will just ask for forgiveness, Lord, let everyone take communion and remember the plan you have for us. God, we love you. And we thank you. If there's any non-believers in here, I pray that just something I said has sparked an interest in them and that they'll just, just, just look for the truth. Father, Lord, we love you. We, we praise you. We lift you up. We thank you for everything you've done. God, in Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys a lot. I'll see you next week.